Whether it's a galley kitchen and a one-ring hob or a space for entertaining for your inner Jamie Oliver, the kitchen is considered by many as the heart of a home. There can be a lot of pressure on having a spectacular kitchen and it can feel impossible to cut through the noise to create your kitchen of dreams. I'm Laura Jackson and welcome to So How Do You, your new go-to podcast for practical interiors advice and guidance from industry experts so that you can create your dream home, whatever your budget. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Maria Speak, founder of Retruvius, an architecture, interior and salvage company. They turn reclaimed materials into beautiful furniture and fittings. Maria is going to be telling us how to create a kitchen that is completely unique, even in a new build. Then we'll hear from creative consultant and designer Matilda Goad on how to style the perfect pantry, even if you don't have a pantry space. And finally, Fred Rigby, who owns a British furniture and interior designer company. Fred's here to tell us all about the perfect kitchen layout. Let's get into it. So how do you design a kitchen? You might have got the memo by now, but I'm a bit of an interiors obsessive. And our sponsor, Archive, has always provided me with plenty of inspiration. I've always dreamt of owning a house and used to fantasize about the interiors that it would have. After years of saving, we finally went searching for our dream home. We walked into the most perfect house, which had this Sanderson country trail wallpaper from 1979 in the living room. I instantly fell in love. Although this wallpaper is over 30 years old, there's something so now about the print. I've absolutely loved designing this room with my furniture against the vintage print. There is something so romantic about the history that the walls have. To my delight, I've recently discovered that the Sanderson Design Group have created a new brand called Archive that really breaks the barriers between heritage and modern. They've cherry-picked designs from their archive and reimagined them in riotous colour combinations for the ultimate maximalist look. You can find some serious interior inspiration on their Instagram at archive underscore SDG. And you can shop their reimagined designs for curtains, cushions, wallpaper, lighting. I mean, literally, that's my dream shopping list. And for a limited time, if you use the code Laura10, that's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10, you will get a 10% discount. Great, right? You are just going to love everything. Let me know what you get. My first guest is Maria Speak. Now, Maria actually helped my husband and I with our kitchen. I've used a photograph of the space as the thumbnail of this episode, so you've all got a visual reference point. But just to show you how creative Maria is, can you believe that the cabinets on our kitchen actually used to be a church floor? I just love the thought of a material having a second lease of life. As you might know, I'm always looking out for the design options that are both beautiful and better for our planet. Although I don't get it 100% right all of the time, I do think it's important to keep in mind. I absolutely had to get Maria on this podcast to talk about all the ways that we can upcycle and repurpose materials so that we can get a completely different, one-of-a-kind, unique kitchen, even in a new build. Maria, thank you so much for um, joining me. I'm so excited to speak to you. For people that don't know what you do, can you tell us a little bit about Retruvius and your business? Oh, well, I'm very excited to be chatting to you because it's been ridiculously long. And what is Retruvius? Very simply, it's two things. One is an architectural salvage company, which basically 
Adam, my other half, buys and sells and finds all sorts of wonderful pieces, fragments, larger elements from buildings, lights, all sorts, and sells them. And I am involved in the design side of the business where we show it all started to try and find a way in which we could show how these reclaimed materials could get used in a slightly more innovative or fun or relevant way. I mean, so when you do your designs, do you work collaboratively with Adam to use salvaged materials in the in, in the work that you do with your clients? Uh, yeah, ideally. I mean, he doesn't tend to get involved in the design side of the business. What tends to happen is he has this wonderful, small, smallish warehouse in Kensal Green where a lot of eclectic stuff, you know, windows, etc., panels, timbers, doors, whatever. And people like me, as well as lots of people who are doing up their houses or might be doing restaurants or whatever, come either for a bit of inspiration or to try and find a bit of a bargain or just to try and find something that's unique, unusual, that has an interesting narrative. And, you know, it's very much like a sort of, you know, glorified junkyard, really. Well, I mean, a very beautiful glorified junkyard. I absolutely love the kitchens that you design so much so that I asked you to design my kitchen and I know that you are I feel like you are the queen of layout so where do you start with uh, a kitchen when you're laying it out with a client oh darling well listen firstly you've got to remember that I on the whole don't tend to just do kitchens you never do kitchens. I basically twisted your arm. I was like, I need you to do my kitchen, please. I know. How did you manage to wrangle that? Um, anyway, that was quite fun. I love your bit of the world. That was what I um, think is so fab, where your whole home is. It's brilliant up there. But I mean, I know that we had very early conversations in terms of what um, my husband and I were looking for in in a kitchen. And I know so many people listening will want to design their own kitchen, but not really know where to start. So I know you design whole houses, but a kitchen really is the heart of the home. But in terms of how you think about layout for, you know, how someone is going to use their kitchen and use their space. I mean, what was so much fun with you and John was that you had already lived in the house, which is on the whole, I'd say is a must because you have so much better sense of how the light comes into the house morning and evening. You know, you need to sort of understand, you see, you're in that particular fabulous bubble where the kitchen seriously is the heart of the house because when you've got little children, you know, they're in that kind of running around your feet But then there are other scenarios. So I might be working with someone who basically is a single man who actually doesn't particularly like to cook very much. And that's a a very different sense of how and where and what the kitchen could be. But, you know, what was fun at your house was you'd already had various ideas and layouts. And I remember John specifically sort of saying, oh, my God, you've come up with two other bloody layouts I hadn't even considered. (laughs) Anyway, I love that. I feel like just you're really good at that design that 
feels so innovative. It's kind of really thinking about the space and using it to the best of its ability, making that space work really hard for you. What kind of tips can you give people who are trying to look to personalize their, their space, their kitchen? I think top tips. I would say the most important top tip is to build in flexibility as much as possible. Because what I realise now is more and more is that, you know, we want and we need change. So we need to build in a way in which we can keep the design and the flow of the space, etc., updated without having to sort of rip it out from square one. You know, there's it's such an investment, the amount of money that is spent on a kitchen. I like having things like, you know, either like shelves or cabinets that are on the wall that can be removed. I've started getting quite keen on telling people to not always use um, tiles as sort of wet splashback areas, um, but to use materials that can literally be unscrewed quite easily. So that, you know, at the moment I've got in my sort of splashback, I've got these wonderful big old brass panels that had come from kick plates from doors and what's great is in 10 minutes I could probably no 10 minutes not in a couple of hours I could unscrew the whole lot and they can easily go and get used somewhere else and I could then put something else up whether it's like a nice slab of stone or marble or you know my point is about flexibility. No I think it's true and I think that you know it's not really about having a fitted kitchen is it and I think that that's that's the point and I think that definitely it feels the trend has moved away from those fitted rigid unflexible kitchens to having something that you can kind of update and moves with you as your family grows and expands where can we find inspiration to make sure that our kitchens don't look like everybody else's Oh, I think you only just have to go back. I mean, I spend huge amounts of time just visiting endless weird little National Trust properties. Every single fun little National Trust property will have some back kitchen, grand kitchen, little kitchen. I don't know. And you can just pick up so many good tips or ideas that aren't necessarily, well, just to remind you that things aren't so much about fashion. Um, but you suddenly see a material that you kind of have forgotten could be a surface. So things like linoleum, you know, which is often, you know, it's mainly everyone thinks of it as a floor finish, but actually it's got amazing antiseptic qualities. It's unbelievably environmentally friendly in so many different ways. And again, just could be a really, really beautiful kitchen material. Doesn't that sound so romantic and something out of the movies? I mean, taking inspiration from National Trust houses feels very Beatrix Potter. There's literally inspiration everywhere you go. And I do think the older pieces do look really lovely and create a juxtaposition in a modern house. I love Maria's approach to repurposing materials for our kitchen. And it is doable for all of us. But what if we want to have a go ourselves? What materials should and shouldn't we be salvaging? Where should we find them? And how do we do a decent DIY job ourselves? Oh, so many things to think about. I think as well, people will 
love the idea of researching, you know, those playful ideas like a floor to put on your cupboard doors or on top of the counter. For people who are looking for more playful, innovative ideas for the kitchen, where can we source things from if we don't live in London? If you're going down the salvage route, you know, there's a good uh, website or organisation called Salvo and they will link you in with salvage yards all over the country and frankly they're just always worth a visit I think quite often you've just got to buy something that you love and work out a way of using it and you know things like tiles can easily be set into doors cupboard doors you know if you've inherited you know a nice funny old sort of 80s kitchen um, and it's got some sort of shaker style door. Well, within that recess panel, you can put all sorts of different things. So it could be a tile you could put into it. You could wallpaper inside it. You could just paint it different colours. I think it's not about worrying too much about a kind of look and or I hopefully not overspending on them. Different timbers, they're always sort of great. You know how you can play with parquets how you can play with, um, what are the other things that we've done recently? Oh, leather. I've done a couple of leather kitchens. That's really good fun. No. Well, where were you putting leather in a kitchen? On the doors? Oh, all, yeah, all the cupboard doors. It's wow. absolutely fantastic. It's really fun. And, um, yeah, it's just sort of nice, warm, good, acoustically you know, it's kind of wipeable. I mean, it'll age a bit in the way that, um, you know, lovely leather chairs do, but uh, we'll see. You know, and it's relatively inexpensive. So, yeah, I love byproducts of things. Do you think then you have to work with a really amazing carpenter to maybe show him a picture or a sketch that you've drawn through inspiration from, you know, maybe a National Trust kitchen and give them quite strong direction because these are all amazing ideas but if you don't have anybody to execute for them they're, they're just ideas yeah but I I sort of actually think a lot of them you can do yourself <laughs> I mean I know it sounds a bit mad but I I actually think it's worth just you know be mucking around a little bit more yourself just trying some things out you know like wrapping leather around a door is really not complicated if all you need is a staple gun and then you might want to edge it in brass or whatever to kind of really sort of glam it up but it doesn't need that to begin with you know tiling something oh my god I mean how many people you know got on with a bit of tiling during the first lockdown you know painting I mean I'm thinking slightly more the DIY route but which I think is important to do because it gives you a sense of ownership as well. If somebody had a new build and was looking to redesign their kitchen, how could they add character into a place that isn't really steeped in history? So, okay, so on one new build space that we've done recently, the sort of structured bit of the kitchen, i.e. the bit that requires the plumbing and the electrics, sort of tend to go back towards the walling space. And then again, for flexibility, the piece of furniture that doubles as an island and storage and whatever, that really was just a really fabulous old piece of furniture. Like it was an old baker's, um, a baker's unit. So it's open on one side for baskets and, you know, plates and display plates and whatever. But the thing is, you don't necessarily want it to, you know, it doesn't want to feel like, you know, ye oldie worldy. I think it's about a way of bringing in 
softer materials or you know are sort of organic materials I think new houses in particular can feel very um, tinny so it's how you have a sort of sense of solidity and a bit of chunkiness and you know that kind of quality that you just need sort of that sort of somehow represents longevity so then you know you want them to look brilliant from day one but also still going to look fabulous in five years time what are your favorite found objects then to use for clients in a kitchen you mentioned a baker's table before and kind of leather fronted kitchen cupboards but well I mean what what do you tend to not use as a go-to because I know that you design every space for that client but what do you feel naturally drawn to that fits a kitchen so we always tend to have either Iroco or sometimes if we're lucky teak timbers and they're amazingly flexible so teak on the whole teak and Iroco's we tend to put sealants on them there's this sort of obsession with how you've got to seal it and finish it and whatever but actually lots of old teaks would never have had anything on them at all. And hence they start to look very silvery, silvery and white. And, you know, I think it's it's sort of allowing that experimentation again of what materials, you know, how they age. Okay, finally, I wanted to ask about, um, do you think that we're better to reclaim things like sinks and taps or are we better to buy these new? I personally think that, you know, one of the future issues is obviously going to be um, how much water we use. Um, And we need to be better at minimising how much water we use. And therefore, a lot of that has been factored in to new pipes. They have smaller amounts of water that can go into them in the first place. They then tend to be aerated. So little things like that uh, washers etc so I've now got to the stage where I tend to use new taps I mean nice old brass ones so that they'll age nicely but I'd like to have I like to know that they're not going to leak from day one but sinks and basins and things like that yes I definitely think those can and should get reused as much as possible There is something so magical about repurposing materials and it really does give your home a story and also mirroring Maria's thoughts, even if you are doing a DIY job, although it might not be perfect, the sense of ownership and pride you'll get when telling admirers will feel really amazing. For many of us, our kitchen is the centre, the beating heart of our home. It's where we eat, meet, entertain and in order to do so, we need pieces that will really stand the test of time. My next guest is Fred Rigby. Now, I found Fred on Instagram after he designed a kitchen for a jewellery maker called Alighieri. I had to get him on the podcast to talk about how to create the perfect kitchen layout. I mean, he's worked in both residential and hospitality, so he really does know the lay of the land. So, Fred, tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, I run an interior and furniture design company. Um, We're based in East London and... As well as designing the pieces, we also have uh, a small workshop where we make a lot of our furniture there. And then we work with um, other companies to realise our our designs. What do you think that we need to take into consideration when choosing and placing kitchen furniture? Yeah, I think kitchens are so personal. Like it really depends on how you're going to use the space, whether you're like uh, a big entertainer or whether you're more into deliveries. 
or other companies out there that deliver <laughs> takeaway food. Um, but yeah, I think it really depends. Like, yeah, if you're really into cooking, then you're going to have way more equipment than someone that maybe just uses a kettle. But yeah, I think, it, and it also just depends on the space that you have. Like, I think it's about utilizing the space that you have. And there's just obviously certain elements that you always need to squeeze into a kitchen, whether it's a bin or a fridge or an oven. I guess those are like the three big pieces that you always need in the kitchen. It's how to make like, I don't know, people talk about the kitchen triangle of like how you're going to go between those three things in a kitchen and the work surface, obviously. Do you have any hard or fast rules for when you are deciding a kitchen in terms of, you know, the oven has to face a certain way or will always go for seats rather than benches? Like, what, what Do you have any kind of hard and fast rules? Not really. Well, I guess having a sink in the corner of a room I always find works quite well because then it means you can maximise your work counter space. And the same with the fridge, if that's in the corner, then... If you're plotting a room and you've got those two objects in the corner, then you're maximizing your workspace, which means that you can know where the oven's going to go. And obviously, when you've got an oven, you want a countertop above it. The same with like the crockery. If you're going to like pull the crockery out of the cupboard, you want to set it down on a space pretty much below it. So I think I think it's all just quite practical solutions and like practical thoughts like thinking about how you've always used a kitchen or what annoys you when you go to someone else's kitchen or you go to an airbnb and it's really hard to find something like all these kind of life lessons allow you to build your dream kitchen i think when when designing a kitchen it's all, all down to like obviously thinking about the layout but the existing room and the placement of the doors and windows and how you can work around those things and also like where the existing services come in so the electrics and the plumbing those are two things that you you really have to take into account where your placements are very boringly you have to be quite guided by the drainage and where the water comes in because you need to place the sink accordingly obviously if the 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 drainage is on one side of the room you can't have the sink on the other side is that a fact though i'm just thinking can you can you ever move if anyone's listening to this thinking i want to move my drainage is that possible or not i guess yeah you might have to lift up your floor and you can do it but it's just quite expensive or it adds more cost to the kitchen whereas if you put a sink where the sink is existing then like for like you can kind of switch in and out but if you decide to move it across the other side of the wall you could either like chase the waste pipe all the way around the room or it just gets a bit more complicated I think it depends how committed you are to completely changing the kitchen are there any kind of hacks that you've kind of created in small spaces for illusions of a larger space yeah I think we did it in the kitchen recently where we really set back the kick plate, which is the bit at the very bottom of the kitchen carcasses. And by setting it back, we kind of created this illusion of the carcasses floating, which just made the room and the floor appear like it was going underneath the cupboards, which just made the room feel a lot bigger because 
It didn't feel like the carcasses were so encroaching on the space. And then I think it's about like doing in a small space, if you don't do floor to ceiling cupboards, keeping them just off the ceiling, again, allows like the the ceiling to go over the cupboards, which again makes the room feel bigger. Mm. I think probably most people will want to work with with what they've got. But, you know, there's those rules, isn't there? Like, well, there's the rule that is having your sink and your fridge and your oven in a triangle. Do we need to do that? I think it's a good starting point because it makes you think about how you're going to use the kitchen. But like, yeah, I think it really depends how much you use the kitchen and the way in which you use it. And it's just about thinking about how you're going to use a work surface and you know, how often you use an oven. I mean, we, um, when designing our kitchen, really thought about um, the placement for everything and we drew it out on paper and then we kind of like did a little walk around with ourselves via the pencil on the page. And one thing that my husband said to me was, but I'm really tall. Why are our why are the work surfaces only a certain height? Can we can we have them taller? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. Can we have them taller? And then when we spoke to Retruvius, who we've got on this podcast, who we're doing who we did the kitchen with, they were like, you can have them at any height. But I just don't think we felt confident enough to say that we we could. So now our our surfaces are a meter high because my husband is tall. So if you're tall or short, you can make them according to however you want them, right? Yeah, I suppose so. I just think like ergonomics are there for a reason and like kitchen counters are often 900 or like max 950 for a reason. And we often find it in our own workshop. Like when we make a table, which is generally like 720 high, when we're in the workshop, it always feels tiny because you're in quite a big empty space. So you're like, we've done it so many times, but double checking that the table's the right height because it always seems so small. But And maybe the same thing often happens in a kitchen as well. Like in empty spaces, the space feels so vast that you're, I guess your proportions are, there's nothing, no sense of scale there. I guess if you want everything higher, you could do it. And the dining table, I mean, you've made me an amazing dining table. And I think that my life does actually revolve around the table in the kitchen because that's where everything happens for me, not just eating and drinking, but, you know, my home office or um, where the kids come to play. So what can you tell us about how important the dining table is? Yeah, I think the dining table is like just the centerpiece of the kitchen. And like, I know as a kid, like growing up, we spent so much time at the kitchen table. Yeah, as you say, whether it's homework or yeah eating or friends or whatever it is just so much time spent there so it really is a centerpiece of the kitchen and and how life revolves around it I think you know you should always make space for a beautiful kitchen table so your guests or friends walk in and that's the thing that they see and they're kind of gravitated towards this comfortable sitting area where they're either going to eat with you or drink with you or both or work with you. Like it's about creating that, like a cosy space, I guess. What are the best materials to use to make a bespoke dining table? I mean, I'm always driven by British solid timbers just because with, with solid timbers, they're, they're just so much more resilient to dents and, and scratches. I think like pine materials are so soft that they can become dented so quickly. 
Like marble is a beautiful material, but I think it's very cold to touch. Whilst it works really well in on a work surface in a kitchen, actually as a kitchen table, it's it's very cold to touch, especially in winter. Um, it just it just is a really cold natural material. But I think with any kitchen table, like they can just kind of build a character over time. There's all these this nail tests that you can do in a tabletop where you like push your nail into into a plank of wood. And if your fingernail marks it, then obviously it's just a very soft wood. So it's just not suitable for a tabletop. Um, so a material like oak is super strong, durable and hard wearing, especially when you use like we tend to use a lot of natural oils on it. So there's one called Osmo, or you can use a beeswax or linseeds, and they really penetrate the the material, which we prefer to use because they're, they're more natural in comparison to using like a varnish or a spray lacquer. And they do penetrate further into the wood than those. What would you not make a dining table out of? What would you not? Um, I think pine's a bit too soft, and I think... A material like marble is just so cold to touch that whilst they always look striking, or glass is another material that's also very cold to touch. Yeah, and I think you just want to add warmth and depth to a a space, especially a kitchen. So I think using a material like oak, where you've got these natural grains, which have beautiful character, that they would just add so much to a space. How can you make sure your kitchen furniture complements your kitchen fit? I feel like that's always quite difficult to achieve. Yeah, I think it's all, all about building material palettes. Like before you get started on anything, it's about starting with a vision and seeing how those materials are going to pair together, whether you're doing uh, carcass fronts in like a dark blue and seeing how that will match a pale oak or and taking into consideration the flooring and the lighting. There's so many different elements in a room like a kitchen that you need to build like a mood board and see how they're all going to look together. Otherwise, you can end up with quite a jumble. Because some there's pieces of furniture look beautiful on their own, but it's all got to tie in and work together. And if you've got a kitchen fit already, how do you bring in new elements with working with a carcass that already exists? Yeah, I think there's so many great companies out there at the moment that can add new door fronts to existing carcasses. So you can just get them recut and the hinges that kitchens use are so easy to change the door fronts. And that's just such a quick way um, to do it. Or you can just paint the fronts depending on what the existing fronts are made from. But we just did it for a project recently where the the owners had bought this house and and the kitchen it was a beautiful kitchen from a great brand and this kitchen was kind of built to last for 20 years and we we kind of decided like what's the point of ripping out a kitchen only to put in another kitchen so in the end we we painted the fronts and then it was an oak countertop and we just stained it really dark which helped to get rid of a any existing blemishes in the top but just it just gave the kitchen a whole new lease of life and it's good for another 10 years and saved 
a lot of money. Are there anything in terms of practicalities that you've implemented in any kitchens recently? I'll give you an example. I have a drawer for my cups, my mugs, rather than a shelf because I can see them all. That's that's a good point. Yeah, we we've got all our plates in the drawer, funnily enough. Just find it so much easier, isn't it, than pull, pulling out a drawer than opening a cupboard, which when they're like a cupboard 60 centimetres deep, it's quite easy to have stuff that gets stuck at the back that just gets lost, more and more lost as stuff comes in at the front. Yeah, so crockery and drawers, top tip. Yeah, and, and I think shallow shelves as well, like you say. My spices are actually in a drawer because... When I moved from my rental flat to the house that we bought, I had herbs from literally 1901 in there because they were just so at the back. So having shallow shells for things has really helped because it's not so deep. Well, yeah, and at least they don't go off. Great words from Fred there and certainly worth keeping in mind if you're turning a blank space into a stunning new kitchen. I love the idea of home as a canvas for collecting treasures and have always been obsessed with finding objects for my home that feel unique, functional and beautiful. After years and years of internet searching, hunting high and low for the best homeware artisans and makers, I really struggled to find somewhere where all of these things were curated in one place. This was where the idea for Glassette began, who also happened to be another sponsor of this podcast. Last year, along with Dan, my brother-in-law, I launched Glassette, the new destination to shop all things home. Glassette is a treasure trove full of beautiful homeware from the UK's best and most creative independent brands that will not blow your budget. From artful prints for your gallery wall to intricately hand-blown glassware for dinner parties, we've considered every moment of a life well-lived at home. My favourite thing about Glassette is that you can make a wish list for practically anything, whether it's a mood board for a room in your house, a wedding registry, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd much rather a checkerboard rug than a microwave, or a shopping list for your next dinner party, and then you can share it with your friends and family wherever they are for them to shop from it too. Gift giving and receiving just got way more exciting. Head to glassette.com and follow us at Glassette on Instagram for inspiration, weekly new arrivals and interior design tips and tricks from the most stylish homemakers I know. If you know me, you know my life is a little bit hectic. At home, I've got John, two very small people and a dog. And they are not good for keeping things clean, especially the rugs. So let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Ruggable. The rugs in my house get an absolute battering from mucky paws, the kids dropping all kinds of everything everywhere, and just general wear and tear of everyday life. Let's face it, you don't get someone in to clean your rugs every other month, and they don't fit in the washing machine. But then I was introduced to Ruggable. I put a Ruggable Jonathan Adler number in the kids' room, and I haven't looked back. It easily pops in the washing machine and comes out brand new. The Sudafed stain, gone. The Calpol half spilled everywhere, No problem. Having a rug that I can clean myself, dry and put back in the kids' room with minimal effort is my kind of cleaning. Now, if only I could put the kids and the husband in there as well. If you're a busy bee like me and you're looking for minimal effort but with maximum style, then head over to ruggable.co.uk to check out their gorgeous selection of rugs. 
and Ruggable know I love a bargain. Yes, I do. So they have kindly offered a 10% discount to you guys if you use the code LAURA10. That's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10 on their website to get your own washable rug. Let me know how you get on. So now we've discussed environmentally friendly kitchen ideas, layouts and furniture. I am really eager to chat to my next guest who's all about larders and pantries. There are lots of people starting to style their kitchen shelves like pantries and they look so beautiful, but they're not quite as common in newer homes or smaller spaces yet. How can we take on the good old fashioned pantry and bring it into the 21st century? Well, let's ask someone who's absolutely nailed their pantry space. Creative consultant and designer Matilda Go did a kitchen renovation and managed to modernise a traditional pantry area. But as you're about to find out, if you don't have that extra space, you can still include a larder style into your already existing kitchen shelves. Matilda is going to share her tips on styling and creating sustainable storage solutions. Firstly, Matilda, tell us a little bit about your renovation and your kitchen. So my renovation started about three years ago, um, and it was, I guess, purely cosmetic. We, you know, moved a few lights and bits of plumbing around, but the kitchen itself was in the same room at the front of the house where we kept it. And for me, I think a kitchen, you know, it's really the heart of the home, isn't it? But it needs to be also not to feel too sterile, and you want to sort of break up a kitchen and for it to still feel a bit cosy and not too functional. I mean, one thing that is amazing about your kitchen is your pantry cum larder. Was that always a big thing for you when you designed the kitchen? No. I mean, when when we were designing the, the house, I mean, one thing we did do, there was a downstairs bathroom and I didn't feel like it needed to be as big as it was. So we actually did knock through into through the wall to create this space. And I think it was really the pandemic that really shone light on it. And, you know, for the first time ever, I was buying grains and cereals and lots of those foods that I normally would have popped, you know, popped by the shop on the way after work for my dinner. And it really sort of came into use in the pandemic when I realized that actually bulk buying and having these stores at home was was really useful. But I think, you know, I think it's just about having a dedicated space in your kitchen, whether that's double doors into a cupboard or just making a cupboard that is dedicated to having being a pleasing space which ultimately it needs to inspire you to cook doesn't it um and i think you know as many things you can decanting them into lovely glass jars or you know even better going to shops where you can fill up your glass jars and avoiding the packaging altogether it you know i'm i'm a bit of a reluctant cook and i think you know certainly in the week when i'm tired and just want to go to bed, you know, you need to kind of be a bit inspired in your cupboards and your kitchens to cook. And seeing loads of half-used bags of rice in their plastic isn't isn't that inspiring. But as soon as you sort of decant things into nice jars or nice containers, it's certainly more inspiring for me. And was there kind of a plan in terms of how you wanted to create the larder in the kitchen? So did you um, kind of map out the space for where you'd put different things, keep kind of fresh and dried? Was there a plan of action? I'd like to say that, but I think more it came organically. We had we had a bit of an offcut of the same work that we had in the kitchen. So we used that and that formed a sort of quite a deep shelf, I guess, where we put in an electrical point. So we have like a toaster and the kettle and a coffee machine. Another thing that I think was, you know, a very good decision was to actually create shelves on the wall that 
weren't that deep because often in a shelf and having loads of tins or loads of jars, things get lost and get to the back. Whereas if you kind of create quite a narrow shelf, it allows you to sort of for everything to be visible. And, you know, ultimately there's only a certain amount of things that you need out and for use every day. And then, you know, in order to save, to kind of keep budget down, rather than putting in fitted joinery or fitted drawers or cupboards underneath, I put in a sort of a little cafe curtain with a bit of spare fabric I had to create a curtain rather than drawers to cover the shelf. And it's like a really inexpensive way of creating a bit of storage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my under the bit hides the dog. So um, it's kind of quite <laughs> nice because I feel like the crate is under there and his bed is under there. And actually it just tucks him away. And I do kind of feel like it's his bedroom. And when I put him <laughs> into bed, I close the curtains and I'm like, night, night, Barry. Um, and I suppose that actually things like that are quite an inexpensive way of changing up and personalizing the space. So say you get bored with some inexpensive fabric, you can just kind of change that. And it's and it can create a whole different look and feel. Totally. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of these sites like Hanes and there's lots of fabric mills um, across the country that have surplus bits of fabric. So you can get amazing designers for, you know, a tenth of the price because often they've got remnants that are, you know, one and a half meters long. And also, you know, I think adding in little bits, I, I recently, um, well, for Christmas was given a lovely dark red bread bin, an enamel bread bin. And suddenly that kind of creates a sort of common thread that brings everything together. Or I'm mad for beautiful Italian packaging and really lovely olive, olive oil tins. You can great, get great, amazing, big olive oil tins in stores. or You can kind of dress it up using your produce almost. I mean, I love that you've got um, like quite simple white tiles in your um, pantry, but then you've given it a new lease of life and injected a bit of fun with some red grout, which is quite unusual, but it's, I mean, like you say, it matches the bread bin and it ties everything together. So any tips on kind of styling that feel quite fun like that, that we can kind of take on board? I mean, the red grout is fun in itself and it's something that just to add, it's a really easy thing to do. My my grout came from Amazon and you can get it in kind of every color in the rainbow. So that's something that, you know, if you're starting from the beginning, using really cheap white tiles, but playing with the color of the grout or even, you know, the pattern of the tiles is a really easy way. But in terms of sort of more the styling, you know, I, I think it's about rather than saving and something you really love and keeping it on the top shelf for special occasions, you know, it's really nice to have things that you love out. So, you know, a really lovely vase you have rather than keeping it just for special occasions. You know, if it's little, maybe fill your coffee pods in it or, you know, have some teaspoons in it and have it by your coffee machine or having some mugs you love out and putting some little hooks under a shelf and have them hanging there rather than having them in the back of the cupboard. I think it's all about sort of using what you've got. So just to interject here, if you love the idea of the white tile and the red grout, why wouldn't you? Make sure that you listen to the tiling episode after this one. There are some massive, very important tips on tiling effectively, as well as choosing and using your grout. On to storage solutions. So, I mean, the main purpose of our pantry or a larder, if you've got one, is to provide additional storage. And as Matilda is a self-proclaimed rummager, I had to ask her what her creative container ideas were. And where would one find storage containers that are 
a bit more unusual? Is that kind of rummaging through eBay or like thrift shops or is there any kind of like go-to places where we can kind of create that larder experience in our house? Well, I think this, this sort of my first bit of advice is to not look in a kitchen storage section, whether that's in a shop or on a website. I recently came across an amazing wicker waste paper bin that was actually sold as a plant pot. So I think it's about going online or into a store, kind of open, open-eyed really. And, you know, actually quite often kids sections have really interesting storage. So at the moment, underneath where my curtain is in the pantry, I have these, they're recycled plastic crates that come in these amazing pastel colors and they stack on top of each other really well. And it's quite nice. They come in lots of different colors. So you can kind of color code it for different things or just get one color and it looks quite slick. And I think that's, that they're what I'm really loving at the moment. But yeah, as they say, I think it's about basically keeping your eyes open and not looking in a classified kitchen kitchen section. I have a feel. Yeah, I remember when I came to your house and you had open shelves, and I was like, "Oh my god, I really wish I could have open shelves." But my daughter, everyone said to me, "Don't do it because you, you've got a kid," and that this was before you had a baby. You know what's so- funny is I was thinking about this earlier. Is that actually she's she's been so used to having the open shelves from very early on that she doesn't even touch them now. Oh, you Which mean is interesting well because it's really you. tempting. It's really <laughs> tempting. There's piles of plates really high. And yeah, she sort of doesn't go near them anymore. Well, that's great for families of young children. Music to your ears. Train them very young, unless they're like mine and completely untrainable. Those that follow me will know how fraught life can be, but I've got the perfect solution for living a little bit calmer. And that's by our sponsor, Grass & Co. Life can sometimes feel quite overwhelming, if I'm honest. However, I've been enjoying how Grass & Co. premium CBD oil has really helped calm the noise of everyday life. CBD is a natural extract of the hemp plant, which is both legal and non-intoxicating. Grass & Co. deliver the highest quality CBD infused with absolutely delicious naturally sourced botanicals. There are three ranges, calm, rest and ease. My personal favourite right now is definitely the Calm range. It blends CBD with ashwagandha, chamomile and mint with vitamin B5 that helps support mental performance and relaxation. Personally, the way that I've worked this into my routine is to take a few drops of the CBD oil and put them under my tongue in the morning to prepare me for the day. It's really helped me stay calm and more focused. I might even add a few drops at night as well to help drift me off to sleep. But they've got this amazing pillow spray that's got some wonderful tranquil aromatherapy scents that do help drift me off most nights. Now for the good bit. So Grass & Co have offered listeners to this podcast an exclusive 25% off their order via their website using the code LAURA25. What a deal. Listen, you just got to go to the website grassandco.com and put in L-A-U-R-A and then the number... 25 to start your own karma journey today. Honestly, I can't wait for you guys to try it. So there we have it. Kitchen layouts, furniture and pantries. Plenty of food for thought if you're about to do up your kitchen. 
A huge thank you to Maria, Matilda and Fred for sharing their fabulous advice with us. You can get links to their socials in the show notes along with a link to our Instagram page for this podcast which is at So How Do You Podcast. Remember to check out all of our other episodes too if you're looking for help with perfectly hanging your wallpaper or finding artwork that suits your space and your budget. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Laura Jackson and that's how you design a kitchen. <laughs>